Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. But what if we challenge ourselves to go back, look where we are now, and where we want to be? That is why we exist. To focus more on different perspectives. The way we analyze film with respect to the lens in which stories are told. In search of authentic diversity while still keeping the emotional connection. Because every movie makes us feel something. Yo, 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 what up and welcome. This is Feeling Films Black Label, a film critics roundtable for the culture. It's good to be back. It's good to be black. And I'm rocking the mic this evening. And we've got my man up in the, what is it, Pacific Northwest? Black Nerd Magic. Hey, y'all. Perfect. And also... Well, not in the Pacific Nord. I'm gonna say that. I'm 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 gonna say ladies, ladies last. We got my man in the Midwest, E Man. How you doing, brother? Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> and the Queen, back in the Pacific Northwest, Miss Aaron. How are you? Yo, yo, yiggity, yo. Oh, I like that. I haven't had a good yiggity or like like. Anytime I think of yiggity, I'm always thinking of no diggity. No doubt. I also think of that, but for some reason I also think of Goofy. And I know that like Giggity isn't what Goofy says, but it just sounds like a very goofy like sound, so I will always associate Yiggity with Goofy. So I'm the only one thinking of family guy. I'm thinking that crack. I'm thinking of Giggity. Y'all say Yiggity, I'm thinking Giggity. Hey. This is perfect for uh intersectionality, right? There I you mean, go. Hey! <laughs> yo, you know what I love? We always just get to it. Like, I, I, I put out this outline. I'm like, yo, we're going to start here. We're going to move here. He's like, you know what I love? <laughs> if you don't understand the level of talent on the mic right now, we just feel it, right? And maybe, you know, I was going to say it, that's a black thing. I think that's just an us thing. I don't know if it's black or not. I think the synergy we got amongst the four of us. It's a vibe thing. Know. It's it a vibing a thing. Yeah. It's something you sure. can't teach. It just, it just comes naturally. It sure enough does, man. And I, and I gotta be honest with you. I think what the beauty of like that natural kind of vibe is that it's like a gut, it's like a gut thing. You could just feel it. It's like, like clapping on beat, right? I was never taught. It just came, right? But I feel I like I had some trouble with that. You, oh. But I'm going to blame, I'll blame my other half for that. <laughs> I was like Carlton growing up. Apparently, I had some moments that were uh, uh, yiggity yikes moments. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think you know you got to teach those things. It's like learning opportunities. So, like in film and in TV, these are learning opportunities in regards to representation and intersectionality. You know, on screen, whether it's the big or the small screen, and there's things that I, we can all you know commend, and then there's things that we can condemn because of that vibe so like i know that we've touched on representation over the last few weeks but i wanted to look a little bit deeper so what's been the best representation that you've seen on screen with the big screen or small screen and i'll kind of start off just to kind of like give you an idea of what i'm looking for right y'all remember this movie it it was a comedy i think it came out like i think it was like either somewhere between 2015 and 2017 um about last night had michael ailey it had uh, Regina Hall. It had Kevin Hart. Um, oh, my God. I don't know why I'm always forgetting her name. Joy Bryant. There we go. Yeah. They had Joy Bryant in it. And it felt like this refreshing take on 
black representation on film, and y'all have heard me say this before in context to the photograph, because this film was not centered on these characters' blackness, but it was deeply focused just on them being them. Not that they weren't allowed to be black, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was just like, it was a love story about situations and friendships and relationships. And it, it, it just like, it was so like good. Cause it wasn't like deep. Oh, I almost said it wasn't deep fried and trauma. <laughs> Yo, um, but it wasn't, it was not deep fried and trauma or like the hardships of being black in America. They just were black in America. Y'all feel me? Oh, most definitely. Um, I think, I think for me, like, I kind of give a bit of a contrast in a bit. Like, for, in terms of representation, there's kind of like overt positive representation. And the example I would give is, well, it was a movie and a, uh, it's now a series on Netflix is Dear White People. Um, to me, I love what they do with that because they kind of like amplify certain types of people and represent, you know, just within their skins that in a sense embody different agents. So you'll have the, uh, for example, the pro black, you know, everything brother, but then you'll have the black brother that, you know, doesn't really get down with all that and just wants to be accepted because he's a nerd or something. And then you'll have, you know, the, the white person who is super liberal, but then you'll have the other white person that's just kind of like, I'm just a jerk. And, you know, so like, I like that overtness for certain people that don't really understand the nuances and stuff. Um, but I think the best representation that I've seen outside of Black Panther, just because I'm always throw out Black Panther for that case, um, would be blackish, the show blackish. I mean, we've talked about it on the pod before, but my goodness, like, I feel like those are regular people. You know, people that I know some way, somehow represented in different characters and, you know, just the topics that they cover, the intentionality without being overt um, is refreshing. And I love it. So that type of representation is a OK with me. Mine's would have to be because um, it changed my whole perspective on a on everything African-American cinema was Moonlight um, back in 2016. When I first watched it, you know, I got the sense that it was an African-American film. But, you know, there's many African-American films they'll have, but there's like a lead white character in the middle of it. But I've never had seen before a film where it was an African-American film. It's just full of all these different variations of black of um, black culture. Um, you even have actors who come from different sides of the pond. I mean, you have Trevante Rhodes, who's an African-American. He's an American actor. Then you have Naomi Harris, who is from overseas in England. And then you have Mahershala Ali. So there's like a very, very degrees of different representation as far as that side of black people. Cause you never hardly see a, a film in which there's different African-American actors coming from different countries. It's never mixed like that. Most of the time it's either like there's the British African-American and then there's maybe only one other like American actor, but never just all these varying degrees of different blackness. And then also it was great because it felt like it was a, a true natural story, like not something having to do with police brutality, not something having to do with slavery, not something having to do with like gang culture or anything. It was just about a young black kid trying to find his place in the world while being black, but also being gay, you know, it was a very beautiful, humane story. 
And outside of Black Panther, like E-Man said, Black Panther is probably my number one, but I had to bring attention to Moonlight. I mean, obviously, I got to call it out for Wakanda. We all know that. Um, I actually want to kind of flip the table a little bit, and I'm going to go with Crazy Rich Asians. Um, I know that we primarily talk about uh, films that deal with, you know, our our personal culture, but aside from Black Panther, we really haven't seen enough, in my opinion, come out that has really just changed that game or that depth. And I understand that your question was the best representation so far, not necessarily like the most amazing. But in my opinion, what we got from a movie like Black Panther, a lot of people that I know personally got from Crazy Rich Asians. And I think the the key takeaway that I had from that film is that, yes, it is portraying people of a certain race in their everyday lives, which is amazing. But it didn't ignore the specific things from their culture that impact people on a large scale. So it wasn't necessarily about playing into stereotypes, but there are specific things within different types of Asian cultures that a lot of Asians could relate to. And that was what was so moving for a lot of people is seeing, you know, the tiger mom culture and things like that, that aren't things that are portrayed generally in a positive light in films or even talked about at all. And that's why, you know, I know on the last podcast we talked about the difference between playing up stereotypes and acknowledging culture. So there are very different things where, you know, we watch people and I, I watched Jaman the second Jumanji a couple of weeks ago. And wait, when you say second Jumanji, sorry, the, the sequel to the remake of Jumanji. So the one that Jumanji came out like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the third iteration of the Jumanji story. <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> Um, <laughs> and Kevin Hart is playing Dan spoilers for anybody that hasn't seen it. Danny Glover gets transported into the game, his character and Kevin Hart plays him. Mm-hmm. Now I'm listening to Kevin Hart do this voice and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know a single black person that doesn't know the exact kind of black person that Kevin Hart <laughs> is making fun of as Danny Glover. And it's not Danny Glover. <laughs> it's not Danny Glover at all, but, but we all know that specific type of black old man yes. that he's acting like that talks super slowly, that tells you every anecdote like the, besides the, 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 the actual the, answer to your question. Like we all know. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's like that kind of reserve, and that 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 chuckle with his head move, and yes. just <laughs> like, the thing is, it's so like, we all Danny Glover. It. Like it is so. It's, it's, it's just old black man. Was it what Aaron? Was it you? Because I I felt like I got into a big beef. I, sometimes it's with, with Twitter. It's hard. It's hard to no. We, you and I ain't never had no beef. That's what I love it. Yo, let me tell you something, about Aaron. Right? There's a dude who I tolerate way too much. <laughs> on Facebook and Aaron came with me. <laughs> I love it. Like, Whoa, yes. Oh, yes. Listen. Oh my god. I don't know you, so I don't have to be nice to you. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell you why what you're saying is wrong and offensive. Why didn't y'all call me? What Yo, was this? I, I know where was, was it was where was the black signal? Person, this person's no longer forget a part the, of the Forget the black signal. Where was the Back, the what was the black signal? Yo, but like, I'm should have just been a fist in the air, like. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. No, I, I speak my mind. I'm not gonna be made to feel bad about it. Damn and right. if no. somebody is saying something that 
isn't right, but also incredibly insensitive, especially yeah. because I know that it puts people like you in a bind where you're like, I'm trying to be mm-hmm. political and kind about it. And I'm like, I don't know you. So yeah. let me tell you what's wrong with what you just said. Yeah. And I don't like when people try to throw the Bible as their justification for certain things and then claim to be a historian and then teach the wrong history and say that they're oh teaching. God, show, okay. Crazy. You know what? This is a rant for another time. It got crazy. But, but anyway, but, but, but I, I brought that up because don't mess with my friends. Exactly. Exactly what you were talking about um, in regards to Jumanji. Someone had said, Kobe, is it okay for Jack Black to to have, like, was that okay for Jack Black to have played the Moose character? Ooh. And I would, like, and honestly, I, for, I never even thought about it, right? But in I the did. context of this conversation of representation, I'm like, well, is it okay? There's too many black creatives on that film where they would have to give permission for this to be cool. And I would expect for The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, for Kevin Hart, for the young man who plays Moose, I can't remember his name, he's a good brother, um, and that they would kind of, like, it's like, it's a vibe, right? It's just like, in your gut, okay, this is okay. There's other stuff where, like, it happens, just like, no, this is not okay. It, it, didn't, it didn't. Isn't there a moment in there where he does end up trans- like changing yes. to okay yes. so yeah. i remember if if you buy the jumanji on amazon prime the extended or bonus cut mm-hmm. it actually talks about, about that specifically and how jack oh. black approached that those moments okay so there actually is a little bit on there about that because i remember thinking it when i watched that part because i was like that he he didn't do anything bad he wasn't offensive he wasn't insane or anything like that in his portrayal like if he had done over the top stereotypes like he did with bethany it wouldn't have been nearly as funny but what he did is he adapted the same persona that the character already existed in so he wouldn't have been making fun of black people he would have been acting exactly like the black actor was acting as that character see i wanted more of that I wanted more I, of that because yeah. that was one of my critiques. Okay. Did that, that was that one of my sense critiques. What I said, though? No, it absolutely it does. does. I just okay. feel like it does. he. I feel like he did the same thing that Kevin Hart did. Kevin Hart was playing what he perceives an older black man to be, and we've all done it just in like playing, right? And I felt like Jack Black did the same thing. Jack Black was not acting as Moose, the character, the young, you know, teenager, or at this point, the college, you know, uh, the college student. He was playing what his, what he, he was playing black. See, but I didn't see it that way. I saw it as if you watch the first Jumanji and you watch second Jumanji, because mm-hmm. his thing, I think he does like the, oh, man, like he's really mad about like when they change or whatever. But the character of Moose did that three times already okay. at that point. So, so he's just reiterating what the actor and I, I don't say he wasn't playing Moose, but he was mm-hmm. playing who the actor who played Moose had acted as. Okay. It's so, a lot of body switching inception stuff. <laughs> now that that was one of my critiques of that movie because it wasn't just Jack Black, it was also uh the girl who also changed into Moose too. Oh, that's forget right. her name at the yeah, moment. Yeah. Oh, um gosh. and was it and Aquafina? No, it wasn't Aquafina. No, no, not Aquafina. Yeah, the girl. Uh, the other girl, yeah. She, yeah, she, she, she was in Avengers. Oh my god! Yeah, she horrible. plays Nebula. And no, I'm it, so right. Okay, more importantly, she was in Doctor Who. Okay, uh, okay. but um, <laughs> the issue—the issue that I had with that was that I didn't feel that they defined Moose enough to make him distinctive enough mm-hmm. for people to make fun of him, and that's what the the issue I had. Whereas when they would try to put a little, how can I put it, black twang 
into what they were saying sometimes i'm like now it feels awkward because i don't know maybe if he did the oh man like in a much more emphatic way that Mm -hmm. was easier to impersonate then i could be like oh you're making fun of him but because they really didn't make moose like any type of i don't want to say distinctive black type but he didn't have distinctive qualities about him per se and it was because of that it was kind of like now it sounds like you're making fun of just a black stereotype because there was not really much to work with. Yeah. Danny Glover, he acted like. Is that like really that. Jack Black's part? Is that his, is that his fault and or no, his no, problem? No, no, or no, is no. he just used with what Jack he has Black. to work with? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not blaming Jack Black. Yeah. I'm not blaming, you know, uh, um, the girl or whatever. I'm saying that this should have been from the jump, the writers, or if you're not going to give him that, make someone else play him you guys could have switched bodies with other people. So that was my only thing with it. Am I saying Jack Black did something bogus? No, I'm not. But I just think that he did. He did it with what he had to work with. And like you said, the character was not well developed. No, No, I'm saying they didn't have because he was barely in the first film. Well, they developed like they, they really leaned heavily on obviously the lead character, Spencer. And then they leaned heavily on Bethany because they knew it was going to be the comedic bit that pushed Jack Black. So I 100% agree that they didn't really like evolve his character, but I, I think Jack Black did the best with what he had to work with. Unfortunately, that was primarily stereotypical behavior, but I, I, like I said, I wouldn't put that on Jack Black, but um, back to my original statement, crazy rich Asians is my choice. Oh, most definitely. That's a good one. You know what I found correlative to what we've all responded is that not only was there, what we believe is these right types of representation in front of the camera, but the reason how it got there is because there was representation behind the camera, either some sort of the, you know, the development with the producers or, you know, with the writing or, you know, with the direction and things of that nature. And I think that that really matters. I feel like I see that more on TV though, right? Like, I feel like, you know, we talk about our films, you know, Crazy Rich Agents, what was that? 2017? Is that right? 20? No, 2018. Crazy Rich Agents, 2018, um, I mean, you know, we were talking about, you know, kind of back and forth. You had, but you had brought up, uh, Iman, you brought up Blackish. And we touched on our, our love for Blackish. And once again, I think Blackish is really pushing a lot of barriers. And I'm surprised at how open people are and receptive to that show. Um, because it, it, it challenges a lot. And it, it doesn't challenge different folks, different folks that aren't black and watching it. It challenges black folks. Like I'm learning a lot. So shout out to Kinder Bears, you know, shout out to the queen, Tracy Ellis Ross. And then my man, let me tell you something. I hadn't, I don't want to say I had no hope for Anthony Anderson, but I truly believe that his peak <laughs> was going to be like second supportive fat dude. Cause that's what I thought that my peak was when I was out in LA doing auditions. I said, Oh, I know exactly what I'm here for. I'm second supportive fat dude. I'm your best friend, right? I'm the chubbier Donald Faison. That's what my goal was to be. And he has exceeded my expectations completely. Shout out to you, King. Um, is it me or is it easier to succeed in representation on TV than it is in movies? I think yes. And the reason being in today's thesis argument, I will be presenting these points. Um, one, <laughs> you're in it for a longer burn. So a movie, you only have two to two and a half hours to convince every audience member about why that representation was important. Now, the problem that you run into with TVs is that you have the pilot and or the first three episodes to hook people. 
I have seen random episodes of Blackish and I have absolutely loved it. So my boyfriend and I were looking to find a new show. I threw Blackish on the table. Our choices were Blackish or Brooklyn Nine Nine. I, me being me, I'm very Type A. I was like, okay, I I submit that we both watch the first pilot episodes of both shows and then make our decision based off of that. The pilot episode of Blackish is not great. Um, it's not bad. It's, but I, it's like most pilots, like yeah, everybody, <laughs> yeah, everybody that knows me knows that I am a diehard parks and recreation fan, but I will tell everybody you have to slug through the first season because it gets better when they actually start investing in side characters in the second and third seasons. So for me, like you watch the first episode of blackish and it does not, even as a black person, it did not sell me on the show. So I do think it's easier for that representation to exist in TV, but it's only easier if you start pulling punches relatively early to connect with other audience members. So for me, I see like a movie, there's a shorter amount of time to get your point across, whereas in a television show, for the people that stick around, it's going to be a longer burn. I have always wondered that same question as well, because I see a lot that, we get mostly many of the opportunities to show ourselves and show our real, true, like, um, authentic beings on television than I see in movies, like, my whole lifetime. Like, from the 90s where we had, like, Martin, we had, um, Living Single, we had, um, even Hanging with, um, Mr. Cooper, like, shows like that. And we continue that trend from the 2000s. We had UPN, which was like a, a little own black centric network. And then, you know, of course we had BET, even though, well, their shows, I'm not going to talk about the quality of their shows, but they at least had some shows that did, that featured all black people. So there's promise right there. And then you have even reality shows like on VH1 and everything like that, like with um, Love and Hip Hop. You know, I mean, now I'm not trying to equate that to some great quality, but I mean, it's full of black people. So I, there's that. But I think mostly for um, the thing with TV is that I think with films, not most of the time because there are original films and stories that still get made, but most of the time in films, the studios are kind of looking to see how much money can they make off this product, you know, because it's all about, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about keeping the bottom line of the studio most of the time when it comes to releasing the film but on tv i've seen a lot of tv shows that have skated by just with having great critical acclaim you um or at least having a decent number of ratings to promote the fact to continue to do another season like the big example i think of this is atlanta um the show with um childish gambino donald glover lakeith stanfield that show like now it may not get like the high ratings but the critical acclaim and it winning in um 20 i think it was 2017 or 18 for um, Best Golden Globe for Best Comedy Series, I think that prestige and that label that it got will help it to continue to go on as long as it wants to. At this point, Don Glover can, he's in control of this narrative. He can choose to do like 10 seasons if he wants to based on because of the high prestige and critical claim that it gets. And they don't have to really worry about like making money for a studio or like trying to like um, have so much advertising because they've done episodes where there have been no commercials present. So they clearly don't need advertising to continue going. So I think TV shows open a whole wide creative avenue because they don't have to worry about keeping a bottom line. That's a good point. I mean, um, you know, so I'm, I'm going to put two things in contrast. Um, one being Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, and the other one being, uh, Pursuit of Happiness, both with Will Smith, right? And the thing is, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, I think anyone who's been invested in that show or watched that show, 
that one episode that probably hit everyone the most was when his dad showed up. I know. Like, don't do it. And I can't. Don't, I know, don't I know, put I me through to, that. I got, and just the, how come he don't want me, man? And oh. the fact that, that, no, but the fact oh. that that, mm. if, like, if, if you guys mm. listening don't know this, no, oh a large God. portion of that scene was not scripted. Yeah, a large right. portion of that entire scene Will was actually working out his feelings about his own father abandoning him. And the raw emotion in that scene is even doubled once you know that. Like him working through that to Uncle Phil, like it broke me. And like I have both. I have three parents. I am very lucky. But watching him go through that, like I hate you for bringing that up because I'm feeling it. And I can I can feel myself getting worked up over it again. But that's my point. That's my point. It took what? Six, seven seasons to get to that and the thing is prior to that we were laughing with will we were laughing at will and there was so much time invested i even at that time didn't know he had it in him to deliver that level of emotion Mm -hmm. to me and to deliver something that has unfortunately been a stigma within the black community with abandonment issues and single parents and stuff like that 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 was the topic that they chose to do it on was perfect that level of representation was just powerful right but it took that long to get there if that was like season one we i don't think many invested. people would have cared as much it wouldn't no, have they hit wouldn't have. as but now flip that with pursuit of happiness that movie right there and what i would say with film is the issue with film is the fact that it's just harder to accomplish with film, you know, you have a harder task of trying to win people over or make people feel something um, in a shorter amount of time, like Aaron said earlier. But at the same time, like without being, you know, cheap in a sense, like you still want to get that authentic that authenticity. And you know, for a movie like that, that happened to capture the same actor, Will Smith, um, um as a single black father which we don't really see by the way on film that bathroom scene where he's holding a foot you know you know the door closed with its foot and everything that hit me almost similarly and a lot of that is because of the fact that like i had never seen that representation on film and it was so impactful so you know it's it's one of those things where like it's so hard to do it in film but i think that when and if you can do it, it definitely pays off. And it's so gratifying because it's so hard to do. And yeah, just both of those movies or those mediums were just like examples for me of like when they could do it successfully. And it's, it's not easy. It's just not easy. Well, and you, um, I can't remember how far into the show it was. It was well into Fresh Prince, but I also remember the episode where Carlton gets shot. That That's was a part of one because they started talking about violence within the black community. And then I don't think it was Fresh Prince, but I cannot for the life of me remember what show it was. But there was another, oh, I have to think about it, but like, I also want to talk about representation within primarily like, white driven shows where they have sing- singular one-off episodes that deal with real topics because that is a way to reach audiences, but it does feel cheap. So it goes back to what E-Man was talking about where it's like, I understand the intention of bringing a call to these issues, which do really affect us. It was one of these ones where somebody was dropping the N word or had 
spray painted the n-word on somebody like a teacher's car or something like that i just can't oh i think you're talking about um, family, family matters. no yeah, family, family, matters. family matters it's it's family yeah, matters because because yeah because it, it, it got spray paint it was with eddie and it got spray paint. oh my god i think it was yeah, they, they 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 put the n-word on i think it was on carl's car and you know oh, but you can about, see uh, the same world. you can oh. see what i'm seeing yes I don't because think it comes up matters, it comes though. up a lot it could it, it, it made it, it but we should have an entire i was like we should have so an was, entire episode talking about family matters though because that show whew, oh the, that was my yeah. ish yeah, <laughs> but but oh, i feel that, like that scene where eddie got beat up by the game oh, oh, that was a tough episode that and carl oh my lanta that was oh my god he went he went he went up in that oh my gosh i yes. was like we i was like dedicate. everybody's gonna die carl's gonna die everybody's gonna die i don't know what's gonna happen we will dedicate an entire episode to just the greatness well, of black yeah, i was TV. like we should have we should have a separate section where we talk about things like blackish family matters yes. what fresh prince but it, it you guys need done. to give us a year so that we can all rewatch all of the shows because i need to Oh, don't worry. I want to talk about cheap representation or cheap one-offs in mm-hmm. television where they deal with, like, if we go to a show like um, Saved by the Bell, there were episodes right. of Saved by the Bell that did deal with real things that people struggle with. It dealt with eating disorders. It dealt with taking prescription medication. It dealt with uh, pressures and sex. It dealt with a lot of different things. But you see shows that deal with real life things, but don't ever want to touch the race element. Like it's just, it's a no go because for some people it's just too uncomfortable. So why is it that race is always what is too uncomfortable for people? I, I've really never understood that because I get, I get if somebody has dealt with addiction and they don't want to watch a show that focuses on opiate addiction. Okay, great. But why is it that it's almost universally acknowledged that the minute you throw a race card on the table, people are going to stop watching or get uncomfortable. And so people just from a, from a perspective of television and, or like the people who are throwing the money behind it, they're like, "Mm, we don't want to alienate our audiences. So we're not going to talk about race, but why is it that race in and of itself is the singularly most acknowledged piece of uncomfortability for, for media arts? Well, how how long you got yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing. Um, I, I've said this before. There's a cure for like you know prescription drug abuse, right? Like there's there's steps that we can do to to stop that, right? Um, there's a cure to deal with in, in a sense, right? Um, there's yeah, a, let's not we let's know not how to diminish fix. the fact yeah, yeah, that addiction is a disease yeah, and it's something that people it, it will fight is, for their entire disease, lives. Right? There's definitely ways to combat it. Unfortunately, um, we don't want to combat racism i think a lot of people are very happy with where it is because for a lot of folks there's folks that claim it doesn't exist um so it is tough and the thing is is that the way that our country is built and i'll kind of answer the question twofold right why is representation a little bit easier in tv than it is in film well people have access to tv more than they do to film hollywood knows that right um, for a lot of folks, they're still using rabbit ears to watch TV. A lot of people, it's hard to like think about, from, especially where we are. We live in these big metropolitan cities and stuff like that. It's like, who uses rabbit ears? A lot of folks do, right? So they invest in time and storytelling to reach as many people as possible. And not a lot of folks can be able to make it to the movies. So why invest into stories for people that aren't going to see those stories, right? 
And the thing is, it sucks the numbers end up bearing out. But then we're like, it's like this chicken and the egg argument. Well, they can't want to go out more if we don't give them enough. You give them Black Panther and the whole world would to go see it, right? <laughs> you know you know what I mean? It's, what? I, I get it on that front. But then <laughs> and then when it be, when it comes on um to, you know, in, in regards to, you know, why we don't it's not that they don't want to fix it. It's it, it, it everybody's well-intentioned. But nobody I think likes being. He gets, they don't want to be uncomfortable. I, I, they don't want to be I, uncomfortable. That's, yeah. And, Everybody's oh. just used to being complacent and singular level because they're used to that power dynamic. They don't want yeah. to. And be if things change, if things change, they have to give up. I don't think it's no. done maliciously by a lot of people. It's, it is, it is not. It's, well, it, not, not by a lot of people. You're right. It's, not by a lot it's of systematic. People. That's all, that's what this is. You have to, if you really want to understand this stuff, a lot of this stuff is very historical. If you're a sociologist, you understand how this works as well. It is unfa- and this ain't no Illuminati thing, all right? There's not folks in no, roads no, no, and stuff no, no, like no. that. Like, this is nothing. It's like literally that. how. I mean, there might be. We don't know. I mean, there is. <laughs> we're not gonna dis- we're not gonna discount. It's it. just the function. It's the function of how racism has evolved in our country, and I keep trying to stress that point to people that racism is not one thing. It has taken over 400 years in this country alone. I'm not talking about the racism in London or in India or whatever. Those are different types of racism that have cultivated themselves in different ways over the centuries. In America, specifically with this media and everything, the racism has evolved to the point where it is also conjoined into this cognitive dissonance that it was founded upon. Where, you know, the reason why you don't want to talk about race is because, you know, race is a problem. And if you talk about it, you have to acknowledge that it is a problem. And if you acknowledge that it's a problem and let's just say you're a part of it, even indirectly, then you have to bear some sort of responsibility. And ain't nobody got time for that. So that is one of the reasons why it is such a troubling topic for some people. But guess what? It's not for people of color. People of color talk about race because it literally is stuff we have to deal with on a regular basis. So, you know, if we're going to say it with our chest, it's a problem for white audiences. That's what it is. Let's just be honest with this. Race is not. Okay, I'm going to just give a quick little story. I was at work talking to a coworker. We were talking about race, you know, just about different stories or whatever. And he decided to share with me about his experience of when when he was a young kid in Indiana where he learned about race, right? And in the midst of his story, and here's the thing, we're by ourselves in the office, nobody's around. In the midst of this conversation, he's like, yeah, so, you know, there was this time when, you know, blah, 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 blah was happening. And he looks over his shoulder, pauses and says, white people, and continues to talk. Keep in mind, he's white. And I'm sitting here looking at him and he paused and he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I just I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm looking over my shoulder and I'm feeling nervous just to say white people. And I'm just looking at him the whole time like, hmm, interesting. And he at that moment, he had that little light bulb happen where he was just like, oh, my God, I've been so conditioned not to talk about race that it was almost like fearful in a sense for him. You know, and I'm sitting here just having a regular conversation with the guy, but he had that little epiphany at that moment. So when we talk about films and cinema and, you know, uh, um, TV and stuff like that, 
that's something that's conditioned, even if it's indirect or incidental, because it's systemic. It's it's kind of like if you jump into a pool, you're going to get wet. You can't just pretend you're not wet if you're in a pool, you know, and that's we have to get rid of that kind of cognitive dissonance because we have it, unfortunately, and it does permeate into our art because art makes life. And that's why we have this situation now. And there are so many yeah. other things that people get uncomfortable about. And I just don't. Oh, go ahead. Kales, I'll let you go. But it's just it's not just race, too. And I'm sick of us putting boundaries on things like women's bodies and conversations about periods or childbirth, things that are gross and uncomfortable. But guess what? We deal with them on a daily basis. So maybe it's time to start having those conversations. And then also, I'll just say something quick. It's just that racism at the end of the day is mostly about power. Like if someone comes up to me and calls me like an N word or something like that. Yes, that's racism, but it's way bigger than that. Like he doesn't really have any control over my life, but the system that we're in that has been in institution for over 400 years has control over our lives. Like you see the statistics about how like how low our net worth is or like or even the housing policies that put us in place ghettos during the 1930s and 40s and how, how we still have been in those same places from then. Or how, like, it's much easier for a white person with a criminal record to get a job than a black college graduate who doesn't have a record. Things like that. People are just very uncomfortable with that because they know they have those same unconscious biases that they carry around every day. There's the type of people who say, oh, I have the black friend and everything like that that proves that there's supposed to be some like some metal or something like that that proves that you're not racist, but you can still be racist and have a black friend and everything. And part of the reason for us still not being able to talk about racism is that the powers that be out there are benefiting from the system itself. We can we I mean many Fortune 500 companies exploit prison labor, which is also leads into mass incarceration for African Americans and. Mostly the fact these people do not want this. They would, they don't want this freedom or privilege to end. You know, they can say that, Hey, we're all about diversity, but at the end of the day, they're like looking back on themselves and being like, Hey, I just want to keep taking the riches, getting the greed and just keep benefiting off the oppression of other people. And let me, let, I just kind of want to add something else in this because, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is not always intentional. You know, again, it's a matter of like, you know, it's it's like, you know, if we were to use that analogy, I was talking about like it's like if you were born in a pool, if you were born in the pool, you can't help but to be wet the second you get out. And what ends up happening is, is that sometimes if you if you were born in a pool, you don't know what wetness means. You don't know to acknowledge it like you're just like, hey, I'm just alive. Right. And it's kind of the way racism is in terms of how it's been baked into our society. And what we kind of forget about is the fact that, like, when you don't have to experience it, when you don't have to live it, you don't have to learn about it. There is no onus put on you to know or to learn or to experience it at all, because you're probably not affected by it if you're not a person of color. And what we also have to remember is who's making a lot of these movies? Who's writing a lot of these scripts? Who's producing a lot of these movies? Well... If you're a person of if you're a white person and you're not affected by race, that's going to come out in your films and your TV media. Like you're going to make things that probably don't deal with it, because as human beings, we're always going to, 
you know, uh, um, create things that resonate with us. And if that's not part of your worldview, if that's not part of your experience, we shouldn't be surprised, you know, that it just does not come up. So, you know, I, what I the main reason why I say that is because I don't want it to come off as though people always know that they're racist. It's just the fact that because of the system that we live in, in this specific society, sometimes you're ingrained in it and you don't even realize it until somebody brings it to your attention or you become intentional to learn about it. And then in that capacity, you start to realize like, oh, wow, I've been really, you know, missing the mark with this or this was a blind spot for me. You know, and I and there's levels to it. Yes, very and much. Just because so if, many if you are if you are ignorantly racially unaware, that does not make you like a part of the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Like I think that some people some people take it to the extreme. I'm not racist because I know what racist means, and it, like it's the dudes with the swastikas. It's only that no, no, side. No, 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 no. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it's not that. And like even the points of these conversations, and essentially like we are on like an exploration in you know in the mediums of art that we love in TV and in film, and there's little things that we can see and all we're asking is like just for you to be open-minded i try my best to be open-minded like i'm not 100 percent right and if i truly believe that way then that must mean that i'm god and but i'm not so like i'm open to like you know to new let me tell you something there's a person who is educating me right now i'm developing this script and for some reason i had this idea that there's a character who was you know was going through a transition with their gender and okay if this is not my experience what right or authority do I have to like try to include this in, 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 in for whatever reason I want to include this character in my screenplay? So I reached out and I'm developing this this friendship and learning and like and, and, and it's it's making me aware to gender identity and things that I was not taught these things growing up. I had no idea and the world is evolving. Our the way that we think is evolving and that's a good thing. Can you imagine what the world would be if we just thought the same way we did a thousand years ago? <laughs> it would not be good. <laughs> like we got to be open to it. And and I, I just want everyone who listens to the podcast to be open to seeing things a little bit differently. And you know what? This is, is not, this is not just a burden of for black critics and folks who are black. These are in our brown communities. These are in like our Asian American communities. These are in our you know our our, our, pan, our pan African communities and stuff like that. This is a bigger thing, right? And we just got to be aware of it and hip to it because it's not as overt as it was 50 years That's ago. That's right. There are microaggressions that are all the, that they're happening all the time. Ian, yeah. what are microaggressions? Man, look, microaggressions, you know, I, if only we had all collectively seen Get Out. That is the You know, I don't appreciate you talking about this podcast. <laughs> I that 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 I wonder if that's an example of a microaggression right there. But anyway, you know, it's it's um, get out is a perfect example of microaggressions. You know, um, the white people that are uh, depicted in the film, um, I would say prior to the ending, the third act of it, a lot of their actions are microaggressions. You know, when you walk up to a black person and say like, hey, um you know, uh, uh, do you play basketball or something? Hey, that person could genuinely be curious about it, but it's kind of a microaggression to just assume that, you know, black people all play basketball or whatever. So, 
Um, I, you know, if you ever wanted to see that depicted in film, that is a perfect movie that literally centers around those microaggressions. Um, obviously they center it around satirical humor and comedy, but, um, it's little things like that. And that is what and we talk about malicious. in terms of there's a spectrum that there are levels to racism. And this is why I keep saying it has evolved. It's not just overt. I want to, you know, uh, be in the KKK or I want to own slaves. No, 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 no. It has had centuries to develop itself. And, you know, from going from slavery to KKK bigotry to, okay, let's just live separately in segregation to, okay, we'll kind of tolerate it. And then, you know, like it's literally just never gone away, but it's changed in so many different ways. And microaggressions is just a passive aggressive way that people do it, whether inadvertently or overtly, you know, as well. I think the scary thing is about microaggressions is that even the people who are doing it, they treat it almost like it's a compliment. Like it's a good thing to say. Like I've had moments where when I was younger, I didn't realize at the time I thought it was a good compliment that someone was telling me, but someone was like, Hey, you gotta be the fat, you gotta be one of the fastest guys here. Like, like you have to be, like you have to be able to run fast because you're black. At the time I was like, okay, thanks, man. That's awesome. But then when you get older, you kind of look back on it. It's like, wait a minute. What's he stereotyping me? Like, like even most of the time, some of these people can be really good people. They're not really racist, but they've had those, like I brought up earlier before, so conscious biases where they'll kind of see something on TV and they'll think like, hey, everybody has to be this way. And that's the gist of that's the gist of what it is. And then you you have. And again, this goes back to what I'm saying. I've said it before. There's a difference between being racist and making a racist comment. Those are two very different things. And my whole life, I've heard. I would have never guessed you were black by the sound of your voice or you sound so educated. I would have never thought you were black or your hair is so much softer than I thought it would be. Thought it was going to be like a Brillo pad. Like there are things like that, that we have, we have heard and dealt with our entire lives. And those are all microaggressions that feed into the utter exhaustion that we as people of color have just existing in our daily lives. And that, that, that breeds other issues and, I think it goes back to what Kobe said. It's just the plea that people, and I, I actually got into a very long conversation with my partner and my parents the other night about microaggressions because of the whole honeypot scandal um, that's going around right now, which for listeners, if you do not know, um, honeypot is a, uh, a brand a company that is run by a female black entrepreneur. Um, it is for female downstairs. We'll just, we'll put it that loosely. Um, and she said in a Target commercial that she was so proud of her brand and she wanted to create something so that when young black girls saw her and saw this brand, they thought they could do this too. And it needed, it needed to succeed. So they exactly. Have- so that black girls everywhere or black kids everywhere could have somebody that looks like them to emulate and to see they can do this. Why can't I? Well, white people had an absolute freaking fit over it, went online, trashed the company, even those that like, there were literally people leaving one star reviews that were like, I love this product. It's absolutely amazing. And I would use it for the rest of my life if it wasn't for this racist commercial that Target aired. And so it's like, you guys are doing nothing but actually plugging the product while telling people why you won't buy it again. And it does nothing but make you look terrible. But she's been interviewed and she even said that ever since all of this, clears it up so but ever good. since all of this controversy started, her sales have gone up by like 200%. And one, before this entire thing, and just know because like my wife uses these products, right? 
I can never find them. Like you know, they're, they're, they're never sold they're out. They're never in Target all the time. when I gotta go get them. You know, and I mean, not not for me. I mean, if that's your thing. It's oh god. Oh, um, but like it's it, it's 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 things like that. And I think there's a personally for me, I feel like there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the definition of racism. And I'll say this. It's changed a little bit. I remember what I was taught in Webster's Dictionary when I was I would say it's evolved and it's it's people are understanding the smaller pieces of it. It's an umbrella. Exactly. It's not not a blanket term. Now, I grew up and for a while I've carried this. Black people can't be racist. Because I was taught that in order to be racist, you have to have power. In an aspect that's true. My homegirl, Aaron, checked me a little bit earlier this week, and it has evolved. It's not so much that I am looking to exert a dominance over you because of my race. I'm expressing a separation of you from the person I know you as, and I'm reducing you just to your race and that you don't have power because somebody else does, right? So we've seen, especially in like 70s and 80s films that like I watched when I was a kid, like a lot of the non-white character roles were so reductive that we were conditioned to think that's all they must be in real life, right? Do you remember Sixteen Candles? What was the what was the um the the Duck Dong Wong? Do you understand how effective that movie was at essentially labeling every that Asian racist, that not only people saw on racist, screen but in real life was that I can't even say Duck Dong Wong. Yeah, was that right? And what that does is that. Is that as bad as like what the KKK does and like hanging folks and what they did? It's not. But what can that manifest? Because they continue to see that they're perpetuating this inaccurate portrayal of this race and is reduced to this. So you would just automatically think that, oh, that guy must be dumb and they can't speak English. And now that manifests, well, I don't value you because you're not me and this is why you're different. So I'm going to assume that I can, I, I have more right to something than somebody else. And obviously we're seeing it today where, you know, the xenophobia that's breaking out right now because of the coronavirus, it is really sick. Right. It's disgusting. And, 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 and so, and, but this is where it devolves from because ultimately we are conditioned by culture and art and movies and TV is so much of culture. And just to kind of piggyback on that, what you were talking about, that's why representation matters, right? Because you don't want uh, to happen with Duck Dong Wong to happen with other cultures. And this is, you know, just to bring it back to the, you know, history of film, this is yet one of the other reasons why um, black people take our representation on screen so seriously, because we've had a history of being misrepresented intentionally, especially through the history of blackface, where you have non-black people trying to, you know, put on makeup or whatever and and just go through these mannerisms or, you know, uh, characteristics that just were terrible. And just I just wanted to put that out there because it's 2020 and apparently there are still people out there that don't understand why blackface is so problematic. Yeah. And let me just make that very simple, not just for blackface, for anything that takes on another culture, whether it's uh, indigenous, you know, Native American people, um, Asian Hispanics. people, black people, Hispanics, whatever. Let me just say this. If that group tells you it's offensive, just stop. 
you don't get to say it's that's not it. offensive. You, you, don't don't you meant it as yes. a joke. You, you don't, don't get, get to that. sit there and say you that's can't it. be offended. That's it. And and it's literally that simple because when um you know and every Halloween. Every yeah, Halloween. thankfully it doesn't happen as much with the Asian culture, but you know, when Jerry Lewis, you know, had put on the makeup and, you know, the eccentric uh buck teeth and the slanted eyes and stuff. Well, when the Asian culture was like, yo, stop, that's not cool, okay, they stop. You know, when uh um people that were not Native Americans or indigenous people were uh, uh out here trying to you know, uh put that on screen and stuff, when they spoke up and said stop okay that's when you stop but when black people say stop doing blackface it's like we get this resistance of like they 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 stop doing blackface in film with the exception with the exception of things like obviously tropic thunder and we can have a whole conversation on tropic thunder another time but like the other thing that people other things that people don't and i i will just just for clarification i apologize i misspoke his name was long duck dong Long duck dog. Okay, thank you. Sorry. I, I was like, I feel like there was an L in there somewhere and I couldn't remember where it was. Um, but you also have to remember that. And when Kobe and I had this conversation before I told him, I was like, you know, I was like, I will always feel that subversive racism is far more dangerous than overt racism. 100%. So 100%. you, you talking about like, yeah, are these moments of blackface and microaggression as bad as moments like, the, like things that the KKK had done? No. They're not as, as physically traumatic, but they are taxing and they, it's again, it goes back to playing the long game. It's the long burn. It's the things that are built into the systems this, this country is founded on. And I just think that at the end of the day and the whole blackface thing, my stepmother who was born and raised in this, in Chicago, I had to explain to her she was at dinner with me and my father she's white and she asked us i don't understand what the problem with blackface is she didn't ask it in a way that was rude or offensive she asked it as in i don't understand because it's not a part of my life can somebody please help me right i'm ignorant in this matter can somebody help me understand and we i use like a bill cosby reference i said i and this was before Bill Cosby was no longer a discussion at our dinner table. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, if somebody wanted to go as Bill Cosby for Halloween, are is there nothing else that they could do to convince you that they're Bill Cosby besides painting their face brown? And she was like, well, I mean, like they could do. And I was like, well, they could wear big baggy sweaters. They could walk around with jello pudding pops. They could do a ton of different things. Right. And she says, yeah. I was like, so is Bill Cosby only Bill Cosby because he's black? She's like, well, no, I was like, so it's a part of his identity, but it's not, um, it's not the only part of his identity. So you could still portray him and not have to be black. She goes, well, yeah, of course. And I said, that's the problem with blackface. So that was like, I had already explained to her like minstrel shows and stuff like that. So she, she, but I was like, but like for a regular representation, I was like, here, here is why that's a problem. Right. Especially given the fact that it's still default for everything is they're white until told otherwise. And that's something that I had to deal with as a writer is, I don't want to make race a problem for any of my characters and I don't want to make it something that is specific to my characters. But it's also like, I don't want everybody reading this to just imagine my characters as white. Like there's nothing wrong with describing their physical appearance. It's it's if their physical appearance doesn't push the story forward, then there's really no need to call it out unless you're doing it to highlight the diversity and representation in a book. Can I ask you a quick question, Aaron, when you Mm -hmm. write, do you write with an intended ethnicity? Uh, for my character or for my audience? Yeah. 
for your character? Um, it's not usually a, well, so all of my stuff for the most part deals with fantasy. So all of the ethnicities and things mm-hmm. like that are made up technically, but they pull, they okay. pull from things within this own world. So oh. I do have characters that in my, like in my mind, I see as having more Asian or Southeast Asian qualities to their like skin tone and mm-hmm. to their bone structure, mm-hmm. things like that. But I wouldn't call them South, like South, like Southeast Asian in my book because that doesn't exist in my book. So for me, I have more of wanting people to see variants within skin tone, body builds and bone structure and less about them wanting to see differences in race or just skin color. I want it to be a fully evolved thing. Just like seeing black people that were born and raised in Africa. They're very different than black people that were born and raised here. Or like you go to South Africa versus Egypt. Like they're going to look very, very different. So for me, it's more about marking cultural differences with physical traits and less about this is person Mm -hmm. from this part of the world. Yeah. I just, I I guess for me as a writer, I've, I can only write, like I would always talk, you write what you know. So if I'm working with a specific character and there's this love fantasy that I've been developing, and even though I have no intent, I mean, it's, maybe it's a little bit different since I'm an actor, I'm writing myself into the role. Oh, right? every author but pretty obviously much knowing, writes a piece of themselves into those roles. Well, right? I had someone tell me that, oh, well, when I'm writing and they're not a black character or an Asian character, oh, they're just, their default is white. Mm-mm. And I found that to be problematic, but they disagreed. I don't think it's about it being problematic if they are a white person and that's what they're. They are not a white person. Mm, so it's, it's problematic, but it's not a problem that's yours to tackle. That's something that they need to, okay. that's something that they need to come to terms with themselves. And it's only a problem if they see it that way. Like you can't fault okay. them for all of what we've been taught our entire lives where people have shown us that the default is primarily white. You can't be mad at them for essentially submitting to the conditioning that they've been given their lives. It takes active choices to not think of that. Like, like I talked about Harry Potter the last time, like it takes an active brain to say Hermione very well could have been black if described that way in the books. Now, granted there are other things in the books that very much show that she's not black. So JK Rowling, you don't get a pass on that one, but I'm just saying, but like you hear about this, you know, olive skin, frizzy haired girl. And my brain just goes to, she's white girl with a tan. Like you have to actively fight your brain typecasting people when you, you, like, I feel like conditioning has literally stagnated our imaginations now. And when we were children, we could see anybody. They, this person could be blue and frizzy haired. They didn't say they weren't blue. So why, why would I assume that right. they are? So I, I want us to get back to a part where our brain can literally just acknowledge the diversity that's in our world and have it play out within our own brains. And I, I think part of that comes with more representation. And I know right now, you know, and what we primarily talked about were, were, I'd say, pretty stagnant um, levels of it. You know, like, hey, more black people or, hey, more Asian people. But, you know, there's there's degrees and nuance to all of this stuff, too. Showing interracial, you know, couples on television, things like that matter. Um, showing biracial people, you know, like that matters, you know. Um, and I would also say, uh, there's a degree probably, and it might be a little problematic to a certain degree. Uh, colorism is a thing too. Um, that was one of the reasons why the photograph 
really stood out, I think, to a lot of people because to see two dark skinned people as the leads, you know, that's huge. That again, that that goes back to even Black Panther. Like you've got dark skinned folks that are taking on stories. That's something really, you know, uh, um, necessary because unfortunately, and I've seen this in both TV and in film, um, you know, and this is again, kind of a pet peeve for me, but they'll use like lighter skin people of color as a standard of beauty. You know, if they, if they just want to say like, oh, well, she's just fairer skin. So therefore she's beautiful or, you know, oh, the, the romantic lead guy who comes in the boyfriend or whatever, he's a light skin guy or whatever, you know? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that inherently in a vacuum. Like, obviously you can be light skin and beautiful, but it's like, what are you saying the counter is then? If we don't see that darker skinned person who also gets the, ooh, ah, you know, from the audience reactions, then we're going to be conditioned again, so, you know, just on a very uh, microaggressive level, I guess, that maybe that's not as desired. So, um, you know, the representation really matters to get that level of nuance because that's the way our world really is. It's not black and white. You know, it's we've we come in all different shapes, sizes and flavors. And if we're not really seeing all those dynamics in film and in television, it 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 reinforces really problematic things in our mind, kind of like what you guys are talking about with these characters who we just default to this or default to that. I mean, if I were to sit here and think of um a character and in the description in the book or whatever, it was just like curly hair and big eyes like i don't know what that like am i supposed to assume that's just a white person or like what am i supposed to maybe that's just a dark-skinned sister i I didn't know you know so yeah we just need more 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 of that just more nuance more diversity um and then we can kind of break away from these mindsets and just thinking that things have to be this way or only that way I think the good thing is now, speaking with your colorism point, is that now people are becoming more aware of it. Now, if there's like a film or there's a TV show, there's even like a music video or something that's showing these like just a certain type of subset of women, black Twitter will call it out. Like there was a thing um, a few years ago on Straight Outta Compton where um, I think the casting call was for a certain scene in the film. I think it was Easy es Wet and Wild Party scene. And they were asking for like light skin, just only light, just only light skin women, like not even not looking for anything, any other kind of color. And I, and black Twitter was immediately right in on that. So yes, we still do as a community, something for colorism very, very much. Like I even found myself, um, when I first started becoming serious as a film critic, I started had to confront my biases about certain, um, colors in my community. Like I was so used to my whole lifetime being conditioned to think that a light skinned black woman was the only thing that was, that was beautiful. Cause I had never seen too many dark skinned women. I came from Georgia, I grew up around a group of peers that would look down, not necessarily like insult black, insult dark skinned women, but just look at them with a different kind of lens than a light skinned woman was. A light skinned woman was called a red bone and stuff. And a red bone is kind of like, that's that prime, that's what most of the men would say is like the prime quality of women. But I had to train myself to get out of that, um, that stereotype because it does nothing but harm me and it harms my outlook on the black community. Yeah, and the thing is, we know, like, 
that colorism is very inherent to, I mean, slavery times. Um, and you know, the, the, I forget the shade rules and stuff like that that happened during Jim Crow days and stuff. And paper bag. It's things. Yeah. That, yes. And you know, it's, it's, this is stuff that should be taught in history books that aren't always taught or really never taught. I, the stuff that I learned, I damn sure didn't learn it in school in regards to colorism and things like that. Cause I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's up to those that deem it valuable in regards to the quality of like what history is. But, um, yeah, this conversation has been so great, but I wanted to make sure that we can get to a listener question that contributed to the podcast. Number one, thank you for listening. Number two, thank you for submitting the question because it's always great to be able to interact and engage with these. So this came over from a, a label listener like that label listener. Um, do people of color like curmudgeonly old racist characters, but with a good heart as much as white people do? I. Oh, oh. Uh-oh. So, a few things. <laughs> a few, few things. Let me pull this microphone away so that I don't They gave some examples. They gave, like, Archie Bunker, you know, um, if, if y'all aren't familiar with Archie Bunker. Um, what was the name of that on show? The, uh, on, the on, on the Family. On the Family. Let me tell you something. Before I knew what that show was, I was like, oh, that sounds like a black show. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> okay. Um, and then also uh, Clint Eastwood's character in Gran Torino. I've got some issues with Clint Eastwood. Just, mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. Nah, Aaron, go ahead. Right, so go ahead, are, so, Aaron. Do, do yeah, you... those are some of the characters. So I'm going to leave the queen. Take it away. So I have some 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 comments. Um, I am not the queen of all people of color. I will not speak as if I am the queen of all people of color. In fact, I am sure that there are people of color out there that love these stories. Whether or not they love them because you've been conditioned to love them is a completely separate conversation. However, I have a problem with, one, the phrasing of the question because they say curmudgeonly old racist people, but with a good heart. I'm sorry. So you hate black people. You think that they're less than you, but you mean well? Mm. Just because your story rounds out at the very end and you realize, oh, black people aren't garbage, that does not mean that you have a good heart, period. Secondly, most of the time that you have these characters, the people of color do all the freaking work. The only work that these that white people have to do and or goes back to our white savior conversations. The only work that they have to do is reckoning within themselves of whether or not they want to give up their racist behavior. That's really the only thing that they have to do on occasion. That means stepping away from family and friends who also have racist behaviors. And while I can somewhat understand that being difficult, if they're really crummy, I'm going to edit myself so that Aaron doesn't have to bleep me. If they're really crummy people, do you really want to stay around them anyway? Like, let's be honest, in the last 10 years, how many of us have had to step away from relatives that make very racist comments or friends that have said things that you were just like, wow, I never realized how awful of a human being you are. And while I am always, always supportive of having people around you that have differing belief systems that come from different backgrounds, there is a difference than having a variant of a belief system and a belief system that specifically targets a group of people to keep them down. It goes back to something I've talked about on multiple podcasts about punching up instead of punching down. There is a very big difference. And in my opinion, these characters do nothing but continuously play on racist stereotypes, 
They make black people do all the hard work and effort only to have them realize I am a good person. I can step away from these behaviors. Thank you, black friend, for helping me. And then the movie is still focused on them instead of actually how it would benefit the black person that this person has become a better human being. I think that these are cheap ways to get white audiences into a film because they think this is a way that I can also love people of color. He did come around. He wasn't because I think what they see it as a redemptive art is they see it as he must not have been really racist if at the end of the day he learned his lesson. And that is not true at all. I am going to stop talking because if I keep going, I will literally like present a PhD thesis on this because it's something that gets me very, very fired up. I'm all for somebody that has prejudices. We all have prejudices. We all have biases. Even as people of color, we are guilty of this. And I can call myself out and know that I have had this against other people of color, but I have called myself out on it. I have not leaned on other people of color to do the work of educating me. If I feel like I'm ignorant in something and I recognize it in myself, I work to fix it. And that is all I will say. Cook it. Cook. 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 I need my inhaler after that. Where's the fire extinguisher? It's too hot. It's too hot. Hey, look. Um, I mean, I can't top none of that, but I will say that, uh, the latest movie I saw, Burden, um kind of does a lot of this right like it's a it, the whole movie is about this white guy and it's a true story it's this white guy who joined the kkk he was pretty racist as racist as they come in the kkk down in the south and later on you know he finds him some jesus and some love and you know a black minister saves him and boom hey he's he's good you know and it was funny because i was having this interview uh, with the director and the writer. And, you know, I was asking them these questions about like, you know, why did you want to do this? And like, and, and Hey, the story appealed to him. He thought it was amazing. It was, you know, this and that. And it was interesting because he was kind of curious about like my thoughts on it. And, you know, while I didn't get too deep into it, cause I wanted to keep it, you know, more professional, or whatever. I started thinking about this, you know, in retrospect. And I was just sitting there thinking like, this movie's not for me. And this movie's not for other black people. Like, sorry, but this is for white folks. Like, this makes you guys feel more comfortable with this redemptive art because a lot of stuff that's here is either triggering for me as a black person, um, or it is stuff that we've heard or seen before. I mean, again, I don't know if you can educate or enlighten most people of color about the topic of race. So when a movie comes out, we're not about to sit here and be like, oh, so the message is about love and redemption. How many times have black folks specifically been obligated to forgive their oppressors? How many times have they been asked to love their abusers? You know, that's nothing new for us. You know, so like when we see it in film, it's easier for me to sit here and be like, this is, I don't care about this because you're not telling me anything new. And I kind of got a similar sense with the movie, um, the hate you give good movie, right? Really good movie. However, even while I was watching this, I was like, my goodness, like this didn't tell me anything revolutionary, but I do know some people that are white that could really benefit way more from hearing 
and seeing this film. So, you know, characters like that, they don't do us any type of service. They don't do, they don't bring anything new to the table for people of color. Um, if anything, I think they reinforce two false negatives, which is, um, or two false assertions, which is one, this is the only way racism is depicted by, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood's, you know, level of racism or whatever. And two, this redemptive arc is all that's needed. It's usually not because a lot of times, and this also happened with Green Book, that character was still racist. You know, I'm sorry, just because you allow this guy to eat at your table, are you about to sit here and vote for civil rights? Are you about to sit here and, and you know, welcome more black people into your house? You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, there's a long path to go with all that stuff. And again, that's not something that people of color are usually drawn to seeing or hearing it's hey white people like if that works for you please like soak it in do something um but there's more to it than just that yeah and i like to touch back on the whole we as a black people are expected to forgive you know the people who are being you know dirty and just obvious with their racism but i also like to point out to the audience viewer because some of these films, I'll, I'll go over two Clint Eastwood films. It's Grand Torino, and the other one is The Mule. If anyone has seen that, it came out about a couple years ago. That was very trash. But the, <laughs> the one thing that these both of these films have in common, and both of these Clint Eastwood characters have, is that there are so many moments of just forced humanity that they'll bring in there to let you know, like, hey, this guy, yes, I, we understand that he doesn't like you know, not just black people, but brown people as well, because the mule deals with Mexican people. He's mostly around Mexican characters. Like, you'll see the scenes where he's just insulting them. He's pretty much just in their face assaulting them. And then the next scene, you see the Mexican characters are friends with him for some reason. So it's not only it's, it's not only in the sense that you have to forgive a character. It's also in the sense that, hey, this character is going to do one heroic act in the film. And once he does this heroic act... All his scenes have to be forgiven. They have to be washed away. Because in Gran Torino, Clint was character, the guy, the boy that he ends up helping towards the end, and spoilers for anyone who has not seen Gran Torino, but the, the Asian boy that he ends up helping in the end, he he was very just snotish to him in the beginning. I mean, he was calling him Chin Chang, and he was he was like purposely um, mispronouncing his name, purposely telling him his family that they shouldn't come onto his lawn, and just purposely just saying all these crude things to this little Asian boy. And the Asian boy just took it as love, as like him being a he pointed a finger. He pointed. At this Point a finger gun at him, a finger gun, and yet this boy still looks up to this character as like he, wow, he's the father I never had. Like he's such a good guy, and then in the end, the only reason why we're supposed to be able to forgive Clint Eastwood for all of the crude things he did to this boy is because he sacrificed himself, so the gang that was terrorizing him, and his sister, killed him, and therefore they're going to jail for life. Like it, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what heroic acts that you've done. It doesn't matter the good things that you've done. If your personality and your character at the end of the day is still a guy who says, man, these black and brown people, like they're making this world miserable. I wish they would just leave. If you still have that thought at the front of your head at the end of the day, you still are a bad person. Every human has good or bad, has good or bad moments, but your personality and your mindset and your morals and your beliefs at the end of the day, if they are screwed up, you're still a screwed up person. I like to just use the mule as a last example. In the mule, there are many scenes in, in there where Clint Eastwood is 
he there was a scene where he um stopped to help a black couple on the road and like he's talking with them and they're making nice he's like okay he's doing the very nice thing and everything he's changing the tire and then he's like oh i I, I, I like to help out you Negroes and stuff. And the black couple looks at him. And it's supposed to be, it's treated as a humorous moment, as a moment of comedy, not as a like, dude, why did, why did you just say that? Like even the black couple looking at him like, wait a minute, this is the new era. You don't need to say things like that. I just wonder why, why was even a joke like that even put into the movie itself? Like it's, they, 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 he, Clint Eastwood, he just, it's, it's a, it's a part of, it's, it's, there's certain words, because when I say it's a part of the problem, right, there's folks that would immediately tune out. Oh, yeah, the black guy says it's a part of it's a problem. What are you talking about? There's this that's that's like a grandfather, that's like my uncle, right? For a lot of folks, when they see these characters, it is so common because that's all they've seen. And I love the way that you put it. These characters, like one, it feels it feels very oxymoronic. You can't be racist and have a good heart. The two kid like you, you you just it can't they do not go hand in hand okay if you are racist you do not have a good heart i'm sorry the moment that you demean someone like it, it, it with those characters like archie bunker like yeah <laughs> clint eastwood in the mule and inside of uh of the, the grand torino inside a million dollar baby Pretty much Clint Eastwood the past 20 years, okay? Um, he's playing these characters that, like, you know, you got to love them, right? Because, like, that's just – they're from a different era. Like, you know, just give them a pass. No. You want to know why it's dangerous to give those characters a pass? Because a lot of those characters run this country, okay? Like, we do realize that we are in the midst of a very heated election. And Clint Eastwood is only slightly older than the two people that are going to be in running to be president. Mm -hmm. And somehow these two people are older than our current president. All right. And we don't want to get super duper political, but like this is this is where these things kind of spine from. Right. And these characters are not good. E-Man pointed it great. Those characters are not for us. So if they're for you. If you want to reduce your racism to one singular act of like changing your mind, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Girl Scout cookies, right? You want your checked racism to come once or twice a year to feel good about yourself. But what are you doing all those other times, right? Because if you're waiting just for this one moment of like, man, I did my one good deed. Now I can go back to doing everything else. Because that's what we do with a lot of things in this country, guys. We reduce our daily lives to like, oh, I did something nice today. You should be doing something nice every day. It shouldn't be special. It shouldn't be special to not reduce somebody just to their race or to their value. You should look at them like they would. You're looking yourself in the mirror, you know? So it, it's tough. And the thing is for us, man, when we see that, it's so irritating. Public Enemies last year with Taraji P. Henson and with Sam Rockwell. It's pretty much like Burden. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, for me, I'm like, I know that this movie's well-intentioned. Folks, nobody's making these movies to frustrate oh, us. Oh, no. <laughs> that is, they, they, but they just, they just don't see it. And what's the unfortunate part is that you have actors and actresses that take part in these films. You're like, yo, what's your level of responsibility yo. and culpability for perpetuating? No, 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 no. Yo, that's 100% real. And... I won't go go too into detail about this only because it was off the record. But in my um, conversation with the director of Burden, um, he he knows or he knew that the topic 
of just race in general was going to be contentious. He knew that it was going to be sticky. He knew it was going to be challenging for some folks and stuff like that. And he acknowledged that like, yo, like I know I can't, you know, speak on the black experience, you know, and I appreciated that. You know, he kept saying like, yo, I can't change the fact that I'm white. I know that I accept it. So I do default to some of the actors and, you know, other people to be like, hey, does it sound right? Hey, do you think, you know, to get their input? And that's fine. However, and I didn't want to put this kind of pushback on him. I'm like, it's one thing to kind of like ask an actor, but sometimes the actors are not the best sources of information either. Um, you know, that's why they have sensitivity classes and marketing. Like right. they have, they have literally systems set up to where you can screen content or you can have people read through your group. And they're, they're literally, they're, they're beta readers. They're, they're biases readers. They're people that are literally trained or have, significant knowledge in a certain aspect of what you're writing about where like sensitivity readers are a big thing in in the book world and it keeps you from making faux pas like that or like you might not even realize that you've subversively put stereotypes into your book that's what these that's what these readers are literally paid to point out for you and, and because yeah. they're not directly linked to their project they're unbiased so they're people that are just going to give you a filtered and specific opinion about what you've given them so people can't say, I just, I lean on the people that are working on this project. Well, that's great, but their experience is going to be very limited. Yes. And, and that was something that I kind of wanted to, I didn't get a chance to throw at him, but I wanted to kind of mention like, well, have you thought about doing, uh, hiring a different writer of color to jump in on this story? You know, like have them talk about this because if it's not coming from another creative space, you know, or creative position, you're still good. Your blind spots will just be magnified even more because even when I walked out um of that film and I told him this straight up, I was like, yeah, I, I know you didn't intend to um make me feel what I wanted to feel or how I felt. And I know that you don't have control over that, but I still have to reconcile with a lot of things that you brought up in this movie. There were a lot of things that were kind of triggering. You know, there are a lot of things that like, you know, yes, you're dealing with a KKK person who deals with the church and then he gets saved and stuff like that and all that. Like, I'm a black person and I'm Christian and I still have to reconcile with both of those issues as I'm watching your movie. And again, you don't have any control over that, but that's still something I have to live with regardless of my opinion on the quality of your film. So it, it's, it's absolutely one of those things that we need more voices in those creative positions because you're, you're just naturally going to have these blind spots. You know, it, it, I'm sorry. You know, if you're a guy and you're trying to write a movie about the a womanly experience and stuff, it might be helpful to have a woman on hand in a creative space as a writer, producer, whoever to just kind of be like, mm, no, sorry. We don't talk like that. Sad. We don't act like that. This doesn't happen. Yeah, always the best method to go with. <laughs> Something. Yeah, and, and, but, but that's, I mean, that's the representation that we seek. And what, what's, in order to get that, we have to be willing to give up some of our power and some of our access, right? Like, that in comes order from to do that, ego I, at the door. You have to leave yes. your ego out of it. As a, as a creative yes. person is one of the hardest things because you're taking whatever mm -hmm. you are creating 
people are going to give you critiques over. And that's why, in my opinion, I think that's part of why I've never actually finished any of the books that I've started to write is because it means that when it's done, if I want to do something with it, I have to put it out into the world and open myself up for rejection and critique. And I do not process either of those things very well. But in order for growth to happen and change to happen and for you to reconcile those things with yourself before you put those things out there, it requires you to leave ego out the door. And on like what you were seeing E about like, if you want that type of representation, you need to, you need to seek out somebody within those groups. One of my favorite things, and I know I keep going back to writing, but it's literally one of my all time favorite things is reading how men write women. Like it is the funniest thing watching how men think that women are insanely aware of our breasts all the time. Right. Like right. they just randomly mention how the sun rolls across her, her tits in the wind. Like, yeah. <laughs> for reason. And like yeah. men think that if a heel breaks off of a high heel, all of a sudden it becomes a sandal. That is not how shoes work. Right. Like it's right. just, Wait, it, it's insane. The amount of things yeah. that you see either written, even in movies where I'm just like, I still, I get it. She did it herself and it's crazy impressive. But every time I watch Jurassic world, I watch her run through the dang jungle in those heels. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking like, yes, impressive. And it's impressive mm-hmm. that she did it herself Two, highly impractical. Yes. Like, even though you can do that, is it something that you should do when there are shoes plentifully, like plentifully available for you through the entire park? So you have to seek out, like you have to set your ego aside and seek out diverse opinions and diverse creativity in order for your project to be successful with the most groups of people. You will never succeed with every group. But in order for you to reach the largest group of people with the least amount of offense, you have to seek out differing opinions. It's it's so funny you mentioned that. I was on this other pod and we were talking about the most recent Invisible Man. And we were talking about how, like, you know, um, it, it was much more intentional to, you know, side with the victim's perspective and so on and so forth. And comparing that to Hollow Man. Well, yeah. Um, you know, but comparing that to Hollow Man. You know, and how in Hollow Man, they had moments where like, you know, I think it was Elizabeth Shue's character, like she gets out the shower and she's like just butt naked. And that's when she decides to comb her hair. But all of that was really Every to set up movie just had yeah. naked in a shower somewhere right. or somebody that thinks, ah, oh, this is really scary. We should probably have sex right now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Top offs and go for a swim. Here, Here's your manly fantasies like playing out. Like I get you're trying to set up Kevin Bacon or whatever to, you know, uh, um, be the scary stalker guy. But I'm like, wait, do women get right out the shower and comb their hair like that? Like, I, we do, what, but I, in a towel. Right. And like, that's the thing. Like, but butt naked? Like, I, I don't know a single woman that I've actually been married likes for the a feeling long time. of soaking I, wet hair on her neck. It's I've never seen that. World. I'm sitting here thinking, like, as a, as a man, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm getting out the shower. I'm putting the towel on. Like, who's like, okay, well, let me, uh, I don't want to clean up all the water on the floor. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> right. So I was just, yeah. So that, that just kind of speaks to the whole, like, let someone else kind of get in there just to just to help with the little nuance and stuff that you might miss might be helpful so we say all that to say this when it comes to these characters no (laughs) that's a resounding no in case you missed the subtext in this whole conversation hard pass we really 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 don't so if you if you're a writer or if you're watching these movies be aware like yo that is what the black label that's talking problem. about that's not a good and, and i like I, I, I like it how folks are starting to like who are listening to this and like like my, i tell you like my wife and a lot of other folks are like oh, that's a magical negro yeah. 
<laughs> yes, it, it is so great. I love the infotainment that we got going on. There was, now, really quickly, there was a second part to this question. Does the satirical nature of the character make a difference? The audience really matters. And it's going to be hard because with a lot of those – like if we're taking All in the Family – it's tough. Like we were in a different time back in what this was that the seventies? Is that right? Uh, uh, seventy five, seventy six. Yeah, around it. You know, I don't think that that character was ever meant to be a satire. Right. You know, that was a character who was just very emblematic of. He was representing somebody. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing with like um Mama's family. Was it Mama's family or uh, Mama's house? You know, a big Mama's house. No, 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 no. There's the old white ladies. She was a young white lady who wear the gray oh, wig. I know you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? Oh. It, was, it used to come on like around that time. Yeah. But like her hate, her hate was to everybody. Yeah. She just disliked everybody. See, now that was right? that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so it was a little bit different. But then like, you you know, when you have like Sanford and mm. Son, it, 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 those characters, I think it's a, it's a gut thing. I think you could tell this is a satire, right? Because it with Archie Bunker, I didn't find anything really redeemable about him. You know, it's the same thing with the dude from the honeymooners. Like this guy is not a good man. Like he's, he exclaims all the time. He wants to punch his wife in the face, Like, <laughs> but for some reason we love it. Oh, he's so lovable. No, he's not. He's a jerk. Are you kidding me? But we do that a lot. And it, I think it's perpetrated a lot on TV because TV is so much more accessible to everyone. And now if we're woke, I can't believe we think of woke as a bad thing. We're woke to seeing these things a little bit more than what we used to, right? Because culture is changing. The way that we think is evolving. And on the big screen, like if we're talking about like with Gran Torino or, you know, even with the Mule in 2018, that was just really unsettling. That was not a satire. And I'm trying to think of examples of where that type of character is in a satirical take to try to teach a lesson. Like when I think of Jojo Rabbit, that's a satire. Right. Yeah, I like think it has. Use I this. think it has more to do with like, is your story a satire or is that character art character right. art a satire? Because yeah. it should never be a satire for just the singular purpose of you getting away with dropping the n word or yeah. making obscenely offensive stereotypes. Like you said, Jojo Rabbit was in t- in its entirety a satire. Obviously, Hitler as a character was the most satirical and comedic part of that movie. But there were so many other elements of satire within that film. Like, oh, my gosh, Stephen Merchant and the Nazis that go door to door. And they're like, oh, my God, that was the best part of like the whole freaking movie. (laughs) It was so ridiculous. Like. But like, and I mean, we all know that I will forever be in love with uh, Mr. Rockwell and in this character, it just continued to solidify my love for that man. Like his care is just so good. Oh, I just, you know, but there's some characters in which he plays where they're not satire, right? right. Like this, when he was inside of public enemies, that was not a satire. But the movie itself was not a satire. Right. Correct. So that's what I'm talking yeah. about. It's like there's a very big difference between making a character a satire, which in my opinion is you're just literally it's another that's another word for a minstrel show. Is yeah. you're li- if you're if you're yeah. gonna make that specific to just one character, then you're you're specifically mm-hmm. choosing to make fun of a group through that one character instead of through your film. Yeah. So for me, cool. that becomes very problematic. Now, if you want to do an entire satire of a film, that's fine. 
But right. again, you know, you and were talking I, about I think time Quentin Tarantino place. That's a hard is a good. Ooh, I have Quentin thoughts. And I know, and, and, and that's definitely we're gonna put a pin in, in QT with like another conversation. But like, I love Django and yeah. Jane, but I know for a lot that's, of folks, yes. there are characters in that film that are hard to digest. Right. But the entire film is satire, no, for sure, right? for sure. Um, it's but you know the thing that that you know when I was just kind of reflecting on this question that. I really have to like search my mind for this and maybe you guys can add to this and, and correct me, but I'm like, I could sit here and think about, uh, you know, an Archie Bunker or Gran Torino, you know, Trezo and, uh, the mule. I can think of like these characters that were pretty racist and then they kind of had a semi soft, non racist moment, you know, a redeeming arc in a sense. But I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, what I would and I feel nothing towards them, you know, like I'm not attracted to that character type. I'm not even attracted to that story, to be honest with you. Like, I don't care to see that because a lot of times it doesn't feel complete. You know, it feels um, in a sense disingenuous because for one, that's just not how racism typically works. And, you know, it doesn't tell the whole story. But the biggest thing for me is like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone as a character be anti-racist. Like, I don't know if I've seen that character who was like the opposite of Archie, you know, who was or, punching you Nazis know. in the face. Right. You know, and you know, yeah, maybe we could get, you know, to Brad Pitt's character in that level. But in terms of like, um, you know, racism, like in America, like, I don't know if there's been a character mm. That has really gone out of their way to be like, hey, stop, that's racist. And like that be the lead. You know what I'm saying? Like you in 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, you have Brad Pitt's character. He's the Quaker. And he's like, mm, no, let's not be as racist because we're a little bit better up north. But I'm talking about like where that's the lead character and they are anti-racist and they are uh, um, intentional with disrupting you know, those type of things and calling them out and hmm. and not falling victim to that behavior, you know, because I was even thinking of hidden figures and I was thinking of Kevin Costner's made up character. <sighs> and, you know, a lot of his actions would come off as anti-racist, but they weren't. When he sat oh, here he and cared more about making sure he that he could have his employee job. getting back he, and doing exactly. their job, not about actually not, fighting racism. Exactly. And that's the thing that's misleading, I think, for a lot of people. Like, they'll sit here and look at his character and be like, oh, he's so progressive. What a oh, great white look, man. What a great guy. He he's really colorblind. No, he's not. He knew that coffee pot was there. You mean to tell me he'd been working in that building? He ain't never know that there was a colored section and a black section. What? In a white section? Get, get out of here. <laughs> like, he just now realized this and took the sign. No, it was about the job for him. He wasn't fighting racism. So it's stuff like that that I wish that, you know, if we're going to have these characters that have these, you know, redeeming arcs or whatever, just show me someone that's just anti-racist. So Show me someone that literally is like, I'm having this, uh, you know, I would love to see that movie. I'm just say that I would love to see that movie. If somebody who, you know, and I always say that it'd be a funny Jordan Peele film, uh, similar to get out. Like it's just a movie that's about a white person who breaks out of the matrix of, ma of racism. And not only that, but they oh also, they also have to go through the work of what happens because what doesn't get seen or talked about, especially in movies or film 
or, or TV is what happens when a white person stops being racist. They start to get attacked. They start to get vilified. They start to get isolated. You know, we kind of talked about that earlier. Like if you have other racist family members and now you might have to cut yourself off. I want to see that. I want to see that journey. Like you know. we, we get those. A little, a little bit, but like I remember, um, like all oh, in a time to kill, you know, with Sandra Bullock's right, character, right. right? But like it's it happens. I think that's like in the end. Like that's in the third act of the film. Yeah. Like I want, like what happens next? Exactly. How does it change you? How are you now with the reconciliation of your privilege using that to continue to fight? And I think that those stories deserve to be sure. told. Because you're right. I'm trying to think. Just in 2019, out of all the films that I saw. Where are those characters that ain't racist? And, oh man, it's, um, now I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do some research to try to find it's it. Tough. Yes, it's we tough. can find all of the racist characters <laughs> and the ones where a lot of these creatives just don't even know. Like, like, when the whole time we're thinking about it, I'm try, I've tried, I found a character who is satirically racist and it's Uncle Ruckus from the Boondocks. You know, and I'm class. You watch it, right? Yeah, of course I watch the Boondocks. Uncle Ruckus, yes. <laughs> that like that is like, but you know, the crazy thing is, is that it's probably a lot of white folks that don't. They think that oh, that that is just completely made up. There's no one that's like that. Mm-hmm. There is no one like that. And the sad thing about like usually with E Man's point about the anti-racist people is that usually when the anti-racist people or the scenes come up where you do see anti-racism, it's because we want to draw a, a a contrast between the very very ultra racist person. Like right, there's right. there's there was a scene in 42, the Jackie Robinson story, which should have been called the Branch Ricky story because Jackie Robinson's not he's not even the lead of his own movie, which is Man. sad enough. Oh, <laughs> such a it, oh that's such an irritation. There's really a scene where Jackie is he's um he's going up to bat and there's the Pittsburgh Pirates manager who's over there just screaming. It was based on a real event where Pittsburgh Pirates manager is just screaming all these racist insults at him. And like literally his teammates are literally just sitting right there and just looking at it. They're like, we're supposed to feel empathy for them because they're half, they're looking down. They're like, man, like I finally understand what it's like to be black now, you know, and things like that. And so then Jackie, he gets distraught. He gets distressed. He goes, he goes off on a nervous breakdown, but it's not his wife. It's not his friend, the reporter friend, Andrew Holland, that comes to see him. It's Branch Ricky that comes to see him. And in this moment, we're supposed to see, man, Branch Ricky is really a good, he's a really good white man. You know, he's an ally and everything like that. But the only reason you get that moment is because he's set against the manager who is just the most devious and vow type of racist that you can ever encounter in your life. And you'll have white audiences that will see that film and they're like, man, you know what? At least I'm not that guy. You know? <laughs> you right. know? Right. <laughs> like, yes, I may still believe some some very limited things about black people, but hey, at least I'm not that guy saying it out into someone's face and everything like that. So I think what we need to come to is we need to come to an area to where we can show someone who is just against that. Yeah. Who can just be against that and just show their anti-racism on their sleeve without a need for another bio-race person to come in there and to be a contrast against them. Yeah, E man, when you said Jordan Peele's The Matrix Reverse, yeah. get out. I, I mean, <laughs> now, now my wheels are I'm turning. Saying, I want, think like, about the, it. Like. I, I, I want, I want someone like, even if it's like a a spiritual sequel to Get sure. Out, and then you have Daniel Kaluuya's character master 
the 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 tea thing and like starts unsunken white folks Man. and like they wake up to like all of the oh hey, shit, what it, is going it could, on? it could almost be a little bit of sorry to bother you you know in reverse oh my gosh yes oh my god all right let's work this this is great <laughs> yo this was a good one fam this is amazing this conversation it's mildly planned and goes in places that I never expect. And I'm so gracious for where we always end up. And it's um it's super fulfilling being able to talk representation, intersectionality, and then seeing where it all kind of spun from is like beautiful. And I hope that y'all learn something like you do all the time. Going forward, things are gonna get real crazy. Um I um I, I can say this because it's been made Twitter. I've officially joined the fam. I'm a part of the Feeling Film crew, and um, it's pretty dope. Uh, my goal was to just see what happens with the Black Label. The response has been really great. So is the engagement, and we're going to keep this thing running. As of right now, <laughs> time and schedules permitting, let's see what we do on a monthly oh, basis. Oh, sick, you know sicking now. Let's we see what we do We are ready. Basis. We are here. We are here to fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and let's let's we're, we're, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, I know that I need more of this type of content in my diet, a podcast, and I hope that y'all feel the same way. Um, so let's continue the conversation. All right. So before we head out, let everybody say their last piece. My man, Black Aaron Magic, please tell the people where they can find you. Find me on Instagram and Twitter under um, the username Black Nerd Magic. You can find me on Facebook by Colette Davis, my government name. And uh, if anybody checks out Tumblr, I have a Tumblr, Super Black Nerd Magic, that's on there. So follow that. Holla, holla, holla. Anything you got interesting coming up, brother? Um, I'm going to be watching um, Bloodshot with Vin Diesel this week. So that looks pretty Ooh. awesome. Yeah. There <laughs> we go. Real quick, because I don't. Is Blend Diesel is, is Vin Diesel black? He is black. He is black. He is black. black. Like I know he's biracial. He was black to me in pitch biracial. black. Yeah. Okay. That that's what that was my introduction. He's also to a Vin twin. Diesel's in pitch black. Which is oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. no he's a twin. Have I you, didn't know if that. If you see his brother, you'd be like. Um. It would be like that gif of and I. Oop. <laughs> Yo, E Man up in Shytown, Town, brother. Uh, yeah, at E-Man's Reviews on Twitter and Instagram, and um, you could always look me up on YouTube and Facebook, E-Man's Movie Reviews. Um, definitely come and join the fans and followers on uh, Facebook. We got we got movies, trailers, reviews, and lots and lots of funny movie memes. So come and join the fun, E-Man's Movie Reviews. Perfect. And the queen. Ms. Aaron. Hi, guys. With a big old smile on face <laughs> right now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Aaron underscore Hunsley. My first name is spelled ridiculously, E-R-Y-N-N-E. You can find me on Instagram at essentially Aaron. Um, yeah, I just, I think my final point would be, yeah, we're talking about race and intersectionality and diversity, but at the end of the day, because of who we are and the way we're having these conversations, what we're really talking about is empathy and love. And I just want to leave everybody with that this week is just just carry more empathy and more love in your hearts as you continue this journey of 
self-awareness, self-reflection, and self-discovery because we're all learning too. And wash your hands. Everybody go wash, wash your hands. your dang hands, you nasty. Yeah, nasty. <laughs> Take some vitamins. Like a not so raven moment of you nasty. Yeah. (laughs) Nasty. Yo, please um, be safe. Uh, Really be mindful of your space, the people around you, um, and take this seriously. Um, I know that if I could speak on behalf of the Black Label, like our hearts go out to those that have currently been impacted by the coronavirus. And it's try to be up on information it's tough because i feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there um obviously it has impacted us in a sense um we already had a casualty in regards to opportunities for you know creatives to share their work with the cancellation of south by southwest um who knows what's to happen now ultimately some people can feel whatever way about it i'd rather be safe than sorry um so yeah please be mindful of your space be mindful of a lot of stuff. Take care of yourself. Don't go crazy now. Uh, I wonder why people are buying like tens of <laughs> packets of toilet papers like that. But like, yo, keep your Save the masks to for the medical professionals, please. Right. Please. Like, yes, there are hospitals right. that are actually having to ration out masks to nurses. And stay your sick self at home if 100%. you go into work. Please. Please. Yes. Ugh. Order your yeah. groceries to be delivered. Now. Not yeah. like, like, if you're wearing a mask, you're pro- well, one, you're probably wearing it the wrong way. And two, a mask is for people that are already sick. It's to keep them from spreading it, not to keep you from getting it. Mm-hmm. Not a fashion. Yeah. So if you're wearing a mask, it, it, it is not. And for those that are taking this opportunity to try to make a dime off this. You're a terrible person. <laughs> uh, but yo. Oh, oh. Yes, please. Send y'all questions. Yes. Feel free. Hit us up. Yes. Twitter. Please. Yes, anybody. Whether individually, the black label itself, feel and film, whatever. Send us your questions, topics. We love to hear from you, and uh, you know we can make it a show if need be. Absolutely, that is the goal. Yo, you can of course follow your boy. I'm on Twitter, Instagram at Kobe Told Me. You can catch all my written content when I feel like writing it at KobeToldMe.com. Of course, I host the solo podcast, Kobe Told Me Podcast, and co-host the Minority Support Film Podcast. And I'm here with you all forever and ever, ever and ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, this has been Feeling Film Black Label. Thanks so much for spending time with us at the round table. And until next time, keep feeling film. Peace. <laughs>